can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We are coming to the close of chapter 1. For the last few weeks, we've been studying uh, this section, verses 15 and following, where we've been studying Paul's pastoral prayer for the growth and maturity of the church in Ephesus, which also serves as a prayer that we can pray for our own growth and for the growth and maturity of others in our lives, be it spouse, children, co-worker, friend, family, whatever it is. At this point, we've really worked all the way through the content of Paul's prayer. Uh, We looked at the final piece of it last week. If you look at verse 19, Paul prays that we would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us. And he says that God's power toward us is according to the power that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, brought Him back to heaven, and placed Him as head over all things. So we've worked through Paul's prayer But there is still more to consider um, in this section. Right at the end of chapter 1, in verses 22 and 23, there's some pretty amazing things said about the church. So over the next couple few weeks, we will be studying the church. I'll read the text. um, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, follow as I read. And He, that's God the Father, put all things under His, that's Christ's, feet. So God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now, um, before we dig into that passage, which we're going to do for a few weeks, I have to point something out to you. And in fact, we're really not going to study the passage much at all until next week. Um, because the something that I want to point out is probably going to take, it is going to take the whole class time to develop. It may seem like I'm talking all over the place, but I promise there's something that I want you to hear and see, and I I do believe it will come together uh, at the end. So we're not going to study the passage today, but what I'm saying today has everything to do with our passage, and you'll, you'll see that. Basically, what I want to say to you today is that God cares more about your growth and maturity than I do. I care about it a lot, but he cares about it a lot more. And after over the last many months, he has been showing me that repeatedly. So, uh, you know, we might just have to focus and refocus. Whatever you have to do, if you have to stand up and kind of walk around or talk to yourself or whatever, if there's noise and it's distracting, just... Um, so if you've been in here very long, you know that we work verse by verse through books of the Bible or uh, sections of books in the Bible... A couple years back, we studied Ecclesiastes. Then we studied the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, 5 through 7. Now we're studying Ephesians. And the reason that I pick the books that I pick is simply because I sense that that is where God has led me. I pray about it some, I consider some options, uh, and then at some point I land on a book. And there's really, you know, there's never any writing on the wall. I don't necessarily have an overwhelming sense that, you know, God said to me we're going to study Ephesians. It's just like one book starts to be on my mind a little bit more than others, and I go with that one. So when I got halfway through the Sermon on the Mount, I started thinking and praying about where to go next. Over time, I landed on Ephesians. I bought some commentaries. I was ready to go when we ended the Sermon on the Mount, and we were off. 
So next, consider that when I set out to teach a book, I have no idea how many lessons I will teach in that book. When I started Ephesians, I had no idea that I would teach 20 plus lessons in chapter 1. This is different than the way Dr. Young works, particularly on Sunday mornings, when he sets out to preach a book. Um, Before he preached Ruth, he had studied Ruth, and he had pretty much decided that he would preach the 10 or so sermons that jumped out to him as he studied the book. Now, his approach to picking a book is similar to mine, or I should say my approach is similar to his, but... uh, we just, we just go where we sense God is leading us. But though our approach to picking a book is similar, our approach to teaching through a book on Sunday mornings is very different. That said, I am continually amazed at how what I am teaching in here shows up in what Dr. Young is preaching the same Sunday. Not only do the same general themes often correspond, but at times it's as if we sat down together on Wednesday of that week and wanted to emphasize the same points. And it's not just like once, it's happened a ton. Maybe you've noticed it. I know some of you have. Um, Within the last couple weeks, I've even had one of you ask me if he and I collaborate on our messages each week. Not even close. Um, Of course, I'm familiar with what he's preaching because I sit under his preaching every Sunday. But he has no idea what I'm teaching week to week. I mean, he knows I'm teaching Ephesians because I've told him I'm teaching Ephesians, but that's, he doesn't know what part, when. Um, and it hasn't really just been recently. Two to three years ago, Dr. Young was teaching through Job, and I was teaching through Ecclesiastes, and week after week, the same things were coming up in his text that were coming up in my text. And, you know, there's, while the Bible is one story moving in one direction, there's a lot of different things you could talk about in a week. And um, it, it was happening then. We didn't collaborate on our lessons. We didn't even collaborate on what books we would teach when. Like he didn't say, well, I'm going to teach Job, so you should teach Ecclesiastes because there will be a lot of similar things. But week after week, the same things were coming up. Then as I was teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, he was teaching through the parables. Sermon on the Mount is in the Gospel of Matthew. The parables are in the Gospels. So we didn't collaborate on that, but it was amazing to me how consistently our messages intersected. And at that point, probably a year or so ago, I stopped thinking, oh, that's neat. And I started thinking, God really cares about maturing our group. And it's not just my lesson in the sermon. I can't tell you how many times the theme from what I've been teaching you in here is in three or four of the worship songs that we're singing that day. And again, we're going to find some consistent themes in our worship. But let's say I was emphasizing the... the Uh, kingly rule of Christ, then there's four songs in there about King Jesus. You know, we don't always sing about King Jesus. Sometimes we sing about Savior Jesus more than King Jesus. But the point is, there's always this significant intersection. You may not know, but the... um, The elders' desire is that the 20s and 30s ministry, not necessarily just in this class, but just the 20s and 30s group in our church, uh, would that the ministry would be used to cultivate not only a core group for the next generation in our church, but also would be used to cultivate the next generation of leadership in our church. But no elder, no teacher, no amount of study, no amount of gifts or skills can accomplish that. Only God, by the power of His Spirit, as we've been talking about for the last many weeks, we plant 
We water, but only God can give the growth. And what is the primary means empowered by the Spirit that He uses to accomplish the growth? The Word. This much I can tell you with great confidence. Week in and week out, God is ordering our life together in such a way that teaching in here and preaching in there correspond and not just generally so. Some of you might think that's overkill. You might say, it's like we get two sermons. I mean, do we really need two sermons? I don't think it's overkill at all. Particularly when you consider where our leadership wants us to be heading. Think about it like uh, athletic training. Serious athletes have to eat more than the average person. There's more intake to maximize output. The athletic life starts with what you eat. Much like the Christian life. The Christian life is word-driven. The word is our food. And if the 20s and 30s of Grace of Anne are going to grow strong in His grace and are going to be pillars in this church and in this city throughout the next generation, it makes sense that the Lord would be giving us a double portion of soul food to eat on Sunday mornings. More to take in to maximize output. And it's obviously not like we're eating separate meals Um, they correspond too much to be considered separate. I would just think of it like, you know, multiple courses in a meal. And sort of an aside related to this, but kind of getting off track from what I'm trying to say, but it's important. Uh, We have to ask ourselves, what are we doing with what we are taking in? How can we steward what God is giving us? I think the first thing is, make sure that you're eating it. I think a lot of times God gives His people His Word and we don't really know what to do with it. Um, I know that some of you have trouble developing a personal devotional life. Well, use Sunday as a launch pad. Take notes in here, take notes in the service, and throughout the week go back to the passages that we studied in here and that we studied in the service. Marinate in them. Study them. Pray them. Try to understand them. Ask God to, to... illumine them for you. We at least need to make sure that we're not just staring at the plate of food. And then, if we are indeed eating, we need to make sure that we're exercising as well. If Michael Phelps continues to eat the same diet and quits his exercise regimen, he's 400 pounds of fat. As it is, he's not so much. He's one of the most fit humans on the planet. But it's because he's eating a lot and exercising a lot. Likewise, if we eat good spiritual food but we don't do anything with it, we're going to be spiritually obese. So don't just eat, but work out what you're eating. Apply it to your life. Make real life changes in your life. As Paul said to Timothy, discipline yourself for godliness. Um, So what does all this have to do with our passage on the church? I'm going to tell you, just give me a minute. It's taken me a minute. Uh, A few of us staffers have been meeting regularly with Dr. Young over the last nine months or so to talk about some changes in our church. And one of the things that we've talked about is the new time on Wednesday night uh, that's starting this week. And as I said, one of the main reasons that change is for you. We want to make it easier for people with young kids to be there. It's hard to drag on into the night with young kids. Or we just want to make it harder for you not to be there. However you want to look at it. 
My recommendation is that you decide now that you will be there. And not just when it's convenient, but every Wednesday night. Be here every Sunday morning. Be here both hours every Sunday morning. But um, Wednesday night's not the only change. I mean, you walk through the halls and you can already see some of the changes that aren't yet finished. There's also going to be, as I said earlier, some slight changes to the order of worship. Nothing crazy, but change nonetheless. Dr. Young used this illustration. I think it's good. If the church is a Christmas tree, we aren't changing the tree. We won't ever change the tree. But we are changing the ornaments. We won't ever change the substance, but slight changes are being made to the style to better meet our people where we are and, and frankly, to better meet the culture where the culture is. It's all in an effort to make our church feel more like home for our people. Um, And Dr. Young has said, we want to make life difficult for anyone to live life anonymously. We are meant to live life together. And so all of this is to promote life together under the authority of the Word, which is ministered to us Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Uh, At least, that's where it begins. So... um, As we've been talking about change, one of the things that a couple of us have pestered Dr. Young about was that he should do a sermon series on the church. And the thinking, or at least my thinking, I can speak for myself, was this. Ten years ago, he did a sermon series centered around the idea of missions. Many of you were here for that. Um, that, If you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, that sermon series included the illustration of leaving the Shire uh, because as um, Frodo... Frodo says to Samwise, life happens outside the Shire. And so the push was, we got to get outside of our comfort zone so that we can find real life in service, uh, true life in service to our Lord. And then out of that came the Grace Venture Challenge. Live more simply, to give more sacrificially, to accomplish the Great Commission. And out of that have come the MITs. We now have some 25 MITs, which are basically just missions in the city and across the globe that you lead. That someone has an idea and says, we need to serve that need. And the church says, well, here's some money to go serve that need. And you got your team and you go do your thing. I mean, that's from service in the inner city Memphis to uh, service across the globe with medical missions. There's lots of different MITs here. Ministry initiative teams is what it stands for. And while we still have lots of room to grow, over the last 10 years, there has been some good growth in our congregation in this way. And it all started uh, with, a, with his sermon series. Sure, you still have people that think that going to Destin is getting outside the Shire. But it's safe to say that the culture has been changing over the last 10 years. And the hope is that it, this would only be the beginning, that the culture would continue to change for years to come. It all started with an intentional, specific sermon series about missions. Christianity is word-driven. So my thoughts behind the pestering uh, to do a series on the church, the Grace Venture message has really been used to shore up, you know, at least the first half of our mission statement. Grace of Anne exists to reach the world through maturing believers. And uh, that sermon series 10 years ago... It, it at least helped us move in a better direction for reaching the world. Again, we still have a long way to go, but we've come a long way in 10 years. So if that was used to shore up some of our mission, we need a similar thing to uh, shore up the other half, and really I think it shores up everything. We reach the world more and more as believers mature more and more. 
And the church is essential to the maturity of believers. In fact, the church is essential to maturing believers and reaching the world. All that to say, through some persistent pestering, we finally convinced Dr. Young that it was at least a half-decent idea. But I think what was really going on in the meantime is God put something on his heart about the church. Um, which is, you, if you were here when he did the preview sermon, he, he preached it a couple months ago. The hope, and at least my prayer, is that God will use this sermon series that he starts next week to change the culture around here more and more to reflect God's design and that God would use it to firm up our vision of the church so that we might continue to mature and reach the world for Christ. But consider this. Just consider how all that played out over, over time. At first, Dr. Young didn't think it was that good of an idea. He'll, he said, I'll bore people. What do they want to hear about that? It's self-promoting. I was like, it's not self-promoting. You know. Um, over time, I think God convinced him that it was good. But that took a few months. I mean, you know, at first it was, no, I'm not going to do that. And oh, Maybe I'll do that. And then he decided he would do that. If he had decided right away that he would do it when, when we mention it, then his sermon series would not be starting next week. It would have been starting, you know, some months ago. And so at some point, maybe in January or February, Dr. Young decided he would do a series on the church. He decided he would first do a preview sermon that he did in May. And then he would do a four-part series starting in the fall, uh, starting which starts next week. Please be there. starts next week. Also, back in February, I started preaching, teaching through Ephesians. Um, and as I said earlier, I have no idea how long it would take me to teach through Ephesians chapter 1 or any of the chapters. I thought somewhere between two and five years was a pretty safe bet. That's about how long it would take that's just the way I work. I have to get in and kind of see how things are moving and kind of feel out the, the book that I'm teaching before I know kind of what pace to move at. And Maybe that's not the best way. It's just the way I know. Sometimes I do one verse a week. Sometimes we do one verse over three weeks. Sometimes we do multiple verses in a week. Twenty plus lessons later, here we are. It's August. We're at the end of chapter one. And at the end of chapter 1, there are some amazing things that are said about the church. I haven't been rushing to get here. I haven't been slowing down to stay here. We're just here. And we're going to spend a couple few weeks studying the church because I think the text warrants that. And we're going to do that at the exact same time that Dr. Young is doing a four-part series on the church. Most of the time... In fact, all of the time until now, I don't realize that our messages correspond until I'm in the sanctuary after I've just taught it. Maybe I'm more sensitive to it because I've labored in it and just taught it, and these things are very fresh on my mind. But because Dr. Young's been talking to the staff about this sermon series, I've been thinking about it for some time, and I realized a couple weeks ago that the Lord has done it again. What I'm teaching in here will be corresponding to what He's preaching in there. It's not a coincidence. I mean, and think about it. He's never done a series on the church. In his whole 23 years here, he's never done a sermon series on the church. And so it's not like, yeah, we talk about the church all the time. It's not coincidence. It's God's providence. The Lord is establishing our steps. He is guiding and leading our life together. And He has convinced me that He cares a whole lot about maturing our group to be who He has called us to be. Um, turn to Proverbs 16. 
few months ago, some of you may remember that I, um, I taught a lesson titled, We Plan, We Execute, He Establishes. It was right after the men's retreat, and I was overwhelmed at how, down to the tiny details for the men's retreat over a year's time, God had ordered the things for our retreat. And these were the verses that He kind of gave me to, to see what He had done. And these are the verses I taught that day, but I just wanted to remind you of them. Look at uh, Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Look at verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So, according to these verses, we're not supposed to wait for the writing on the wall. There won't be any. We're supposed to entrust our work to the Lord, and then get to work. We entrust our plans to God, then we make plans, and we execute our plans. That's what I did for the men's retreat. Um, I prayed over and again that God would guide and lead our efforts. And I mentioned that day that those making plans and executing plans included six people uh, rejecting speaking at the men's retreat. You know, So, I mean, after one no, and then another no, and then another no, and then another... And it wasn't because they thought it was a terrible idea. They just didn't work out with their schedule or whatever. But after six people rejecting that they're going to speak... It seems a little foggy about where you're heading for the men's retreat, and you're wondering, is God really guiding and leading this effort? But that's how life is. We deal with rejection. We deal with frustration and confusion. We deal with pain. We deal with doubt. We often feel like we're in a thick fog with a muddy windshield, and we can't see where we're going, and we're pretty sure we just took the wrong turn at the fork in the road. We often go through things that we we can't imagine how they are a part of God leading us forward or upward because frankly, the thing we just went through is backward and upside down. But we entrust our plans to the Lord, we make plans, and we execute the plans. And He will, the promise is, He will establish our steps. He has a way in His wisdom that only He could do of ordering our life such that all of the rejection and doubt and fear and anxiety and wrong turns and huge mistakes, they're all a part of Him perfectly in His perfect timing ordering our steps in His ways. So, um, I've seen that yet again in you know, what I'm teaching in here. I don't know what I should teach next. I pray about it some. I land on a book. I teach the book. I entrust my plans to the Lord. I make plans. I execute plans. All the while, He's establishing my steps. My heart's desire and my prayer for our group, generally speaking, has often been that God would grow us up in Christ. Just make us to be godly men and women that will be a blessing to this church and to this community. And He's at least shown me that He is ordering our steps on Sundays to that end. Why would I not believe that He's ordering everything else in our lives to that end as well? What I'm teaching in here often corresponds with what Dr. Young is preaching in there, not because we collaborate with one another, but because God is establishing our steps. So, a few applications to think about for your life. 
Um, number one, be here. Just come and eat. Be here Wednesday night. Be here next Sunday. And not just for the kickoff week. Make it top priority for you and your family. Um, I did some research this week, and it didn't take me long, but uh, just punch some numbers into a calculator. Many of you have kids in school. We're not there yet. But during a single school year, your child, said child, will spend over 1,000 hours in school. That's fine. If you were to be here every Sunday and Wednesday, uh, both hours on Sunday, every Sunday and Wednesday all year, you would only be at church about 150 hours in a year. That's pretty amazing to think about it that way. So all to say, it may seem like a lot because our lives are busy, but it's really not asking all that much. Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights are the regular time of worship for our church. Whether you want to starting out or not, I don't, really, I don't think the motivation is that important in the beginning. But just be here. It takes sacrifice to have your kids in school every day. It takes sacrifice to be in church every week. And which one's more important? Be here because it's good for your soul. You know, when I'm doing um, any sort of, like, let's say, restoration counseling in a marriage or in someone's life, the, the first, after we kind of deal with some of what's going on in the heart and kind of the underworkings, the first thing always that my practical application is be in church every time the doors are open. And I know we like to make fun of that. Like, I grew up in church. We were there every time the doors were open. You think that's legalistic or something? Maybe there's people that are legalistic that do that. But this is the primary, or at least the, um, the top ways. Everything flows down from worship. Everything flows down and into our lives from the ministry of God's Word um, and our elders, you know, it's not like they've been creative, but they've decided Sundays and Wednesdays are when we are going to feed our people that way. Um, so I just say, look, your life's a mess. That's okay. Be here at church. And if you're here over the long haul, I suspect things will change. Now, of course, if your heart's engaged and, you, and you're eating the food and not just staring at the plate and desiring to follow the Lord, but people that come for counseling generally are. And... Um, it's just, it's a means of grace. It's good for your soul. It's how we get in the pathway of God's grace. And He grows us through meeting together under the Word uh, with God's people. The second thing, kind of an application of the application. I know some of you are in the fog now. Whether it be with family decisions or work decisions or whatever it may be. Simply entrust your plans to the Lord. Make plans. Execute the plans. He is establishing. He will establish your steps. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that um, though we often feel like we are flailing or wandering, or uh, in fact we are wandering, um, we, we often can't see where we're going and aren't sure about our decisions, Yet, we can take great comfort in the fact, Lord, that you, you, just, you care about us. And uh, in perfect providence, you're ordering our steps to um, be for you and with you. And Lord, I just pray that that would bring comfort today. I, I pray that it would bring encouragement as we consider that 
you care about us specifically as individuals and as a group in this church uh, to grow us up beyond our years so that we can serve this church and serve this city. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would uh, make our hearts right in that effort and uh, that you would uh, root us and build us up in Christ and get good fruit uh, in and through our lives for your glory. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.